Hi, this is Him We Proclaim with Dr. John Fonville. The next message in our sexual purity series is called Set Apart, Entering the Kingdom of God. John walks us through a challenging topic and a challenging passage today. And with it, we see the path forward on how and why God wants to set folks apart and what that means in every aspect of our lives. Here's John with Set Apart, Entering the Kingdom of God, Part 2. What is Paul teaching us about the doctrine of regeneration in terms of that's application to sexual purity? Listen carefully. Regeneration, Paul says, is the basis of all change in your heart and life. You have been cleansed and you have been brought to life and given a new heart that Paul says, that Ezekiel says, and Paul says, and Jesus in John 3 says, that the Holy Spirit is now causing you to be careful to keep the rules, the laws of the king. This is the basis of all change in heart and life. You have no excuse now, Corinthians. You have been washed. You have been brought to life. You have been given a new spirit. You've been made new creations by the gracious work of the Holy Spirit. And now your heart wants to carefully obey and follow the laws of the kingdom of God. This is the root. Regeneration is the root of all true obedience and the pursuit and basis for holiness in our life. And so you use your baptism to remind you to go back to this regenerating truth of God. I've been washed. I've been recreated. I've been purified. I've been granted the gift of the Holy Spirit. I'm a new creation in Christ. I have been raised from the waters to walk in newness of life. This is who I am. Now we're going to go live it. Second, in describing their conversion, Paul deals with the doctrine of definitive sanctification. Look at verse 11. He says, but you were washed, but you were sanctified. Through the preaching of the gospel, the Corinthians received the gift of regeneration and the gift of sanctification. Now, in the context here, as we previously learned, and if you want to go back and get the details, go back to Do You Not Know Part 2, and I go into great detail about definitive sanctification, but I'm just going to hit on it here since I've already covered it in detail. But what Paul has in mind here is this, is not the process of sanctification. That is, slowly but surely through agony and failure and defeat with a few victories thrown in, becoming like Jesus. It's not what he's talking about. He's talking about definitive sanctification, which is this. By the electing grace of God, God has chosen to set apart his people from their former state of sin and make them saints, make them holy so that they can be used for holy purposes in his kingdom. That's definitive sanctification. And that's what Paul's talking about here. Paul begins his letter with the doctrine of definitive sanctification in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2. Listen to how he addresses the Corinthians who are a theological and moral mess. He says to them in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2, to the church of God that it is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus called to be saints. But what is Paul's point to direct these believers who are failing in the area of sexual purity? What is his point to get them to pursue holiness? Here's his point. It's very simple. Because you have been set apart, sanctified by God to be holy and used for holy purposes, stop polluting yourself again with unholy purposes because this is not who you are. His point's very simple. 
Here's his point. If regeneration is the basis of all change in heart and life, definitive sanctification is the purpose for that change. You have been set apart by God for himself to be saints, to be used in his kingdom for holy purposes, definitive sanctification. And you've been given a new heart that wants to respond to the king's laws because you've been washed from all your defilement. So now be who you are. God had made these unrighteous sinners holy. He had made them suitable citizens for his kingdom. And this stands in stark contrast to verses 9 and 10 where they were, Paul says they were excluded. You were sanctified, but you were formally excluded from the kingdom of God. But this is how God, by grace, brought you in. What does sexual sin do? It leaves us polluted and set apart for unholy purposes by which God has never, ever designed us to be and to live. And so what does God do? He sanctifies us. In his kingdom, he sets us apart for holy purposes and holy use. And it is precisely because we have been set apart by God to be holy, to be saints, that then we are given the moral imperative to be that. As we saw a couple weeks ago, The Christian faith is not calling us to do and be something that we are not already definitively made by God to be and do. And so this brings us to the third aspect of Paul's description of the Corinthians' gracious transformation. He says, you have been regenerated, you have been definitively sanctified, set apart, made holy saints of God to be used in the kingdom for holy purposes. And third, he says, look, he says, but you are justified. Through the preaching of the gospel, the Corinthians received the gift of regeneration. They received the gift of definitive sanctification. And then third, Paul says, they received the gift of justification. Are you beginning to see why if you don't know the gospel, you can't live the Christian life? If you don't know what regeneration is, it can't give you hope. If you don't know what definitive sanctification is, you don't know the purpose for why you are set apart. You don't know what the purpose of your life is. And if you don't know what justification is, listen, justification is the chief article of the Christian faith and life. Everything hinges on justification. Everything. Paul says in verses 9 and 10, the unrighteous Corinthians were excluded from the kingdom of God. So how can the unrighteous Come to inherit the kingdom of God. This is the good news of the gospel. The king declares the unrighteous justified. This is astounding. This is astounding. What is justification? What is it for the king to exercise his verdict from his throne and say, you're justified? What is this? Listen carefully, and then we're going to apply it. Here's the doctrine. Justification is God, the judge's verdict that declares the unrighteous to be righteous even while they are within themselves inherently unrighteous. And the reason it is not a legal fiction but a true declaration and the reason it is not unjust but just for a judge to declare an unrighteous person righteous when they're not is because the judgment rendered by the king is given on the basis of the righteousness of Christ himself. 
And all of that perfect righteousness is declared, reckoned to you as if it is yours, so that when the king in his kingdom declares you unrighteous to be righteous, it is just as if you have never sinned and just as if you have always obeyed every second of every moment of your whole life. And so though formerly unrighteous, God justifies the Corinthians so that they could be counted righteous and inherit the kingdom from which they were formerly excluded. So, the, so that's the doctrine. Why does Paul remind the Corinthians of that in the context of sexual purity in the church? Well, how does the gospel of justification apply to my daily life of sanctification? Here's his point. Sexual sin results in paralyzing guilt, regret, and self-condemnation. And Paul says, because the Corinthians were justified by the king, they must not now call down upon themselves self-condemnation and live in self-regret and self-remorse. The doctrine of justification frees us forever from self-condemnation, from God's condemnation, and the paralyzing guilt and regret that we have because of our failures. Don't forget the, the, the nature of the kingdom of God that we're looking at here. It is the already but not yet aspect of the kingdom that we live in. Because of that, the point is none of us are perfect. And all of us, even though sin, sin's dominion has been overthrown, and all of us have been declared justified by the king, sin still indwells believers because the consummation of the kingdom hasn't occurred yet. So we're not perfect yet. Paul talks about this continual tension and struggle in Galatians chapter 5, verse 17, which is Paramount's favorite book of the Bible. <laughs> And just to remind you, after four and a half years in it, this is what Paul says in Galatians 5, 17, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. How many of you ever feel like that? Every day, all day long. <laughs> That's me. Because of this continual struggle, even though we've been justified, delivered from the dominion and tyranny of sin, death, and the devil, we continually fall short of the perfect righteousness God requires in his law. And sexual sin for believers leaves believers paralyzed with crippling guilt. Every time one of you young guys in here, or some of you women, hit the key on the keyboard and go to the website you're not supposed to, immediately what you experience? Deep remorse and regret and guilt. You put your head down and you go, why did I do it again? Every time. And the reason you have this struggle is because the Holy Spirit is in you because <laughs> he's washed you and he is saying, this is not you, stop. Sexual sin paralyzes us in a crippling guilt and regret for our past and present failures. And how easy in the midst of our struggles is it to forget the gospel and to forget that at the moment you are feeling that incredible regret and guilt for what you have done, it is easy to forget you are still right with God. Struggling Christians are right with God. 
unstruggling, professing Christians are excluded from the kingdom of God. How often do we forget the justifying grace of God in Christ toward us when we fall and fail as Christians in our sin because of the reality of Galatians 5.17? So what is it that will keep us pursuing life change and the pursuit of holiness for sexual purity in the church and not fall in to paralyzing and crippling guilt? What is it? It's the doctrine of justification. You see, listen, if regeneration is the basis of all change in heart and life, if definitive sanctification is the purpose for this radical spiritual change, justification is the continual motivation to keep pursuing that change. You see, if every time you sin as a believer with your gossip, with your sexual sin, with your anger towards your spouse, with your impatience towards your children, with your bitterness towards your boss at work, with your bad attitudes on the highway and cutting people off in traffic or whatever it is, the sin that you're guilty of, you have to remember the declarative statement of God, the king from his throne, justified. Because see, every time you sin, if you came unjustified, there'd be no hope for you to continually pursue unless you came back and justified yourself. Listen to the Heidelberg Catechism, question 60, and it insightfully gives us an amazing, remarkable truth about justification. Question 60 asks, how are you righteous before God? Here's the answer, quote, only by true faith in Jesus Christ, although my conscience accuses me that I have grievously sinned against all God's commandments, have never kept any of them, and am still inclined to all evil, yet God without any merit of my own, out of mere grace, imputes to me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ. He grants these to me as if I had never nor had ever committed any sin and is as if I myself had accomplished all the obedience for which Christ has rendered for me. If only I accept this with a believing heart, only true through, through true faith. That is one of the most remarkable statements of justification written in the history of the church. Every day you and I sin. Every day our conscience condemns us on this basis. And so we must take, listen, we must by faith learn to bring the verdict of our conscience, which says guilty, we must learn by faith to bring that verdict of our conscience guilty and to line with the verdict of God's declaration justified. And until you learn on this basis to live by faith in the gospel truth that you are no longer condemned for your sin forever by the king, you will have no strength to pursue holiness in your daily life. That is why Paul says to the Corinthians, you don't know this, you've forgotten it, so let me remind you, you've been justified. A self-conscious awareness of justification is the basis for the continual pursuit of holiness in your life. You have to have this assurance. 
And so you have to know this cardinal truth of your faith well. You cannot have a kindergarten education understanding of the doctrine of justification. It just won't work. You must grow in your faith. You must know this cardinal doctrine of your faith well. And you must meditate on it daily because you sin daily. And you must pray often and long for the Holy Spirit to assure you both in your head and heart that you are justified. Now, just really quickly, I just want to make an observation. Note how Paul establishes all of these gospel truths, regeneration, definitive sanctification, justification. Notice how he establishes all of this in the doctrine of the Trinity. The doctrine of the Trinity is not some kind of weird doctrine that's way out there that we can't grasp, has no practical ramifications for our daily life. Paul says this, he says that God has effected regeneration, definitive sanctification, and justification. How has he done it? Look, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. He's saying that regeneration, sanctification, and justification, the cause of that is the work of Christ in the gospel outside of us. The cause of our salvation is Christ. But as long as Christ remains outside of us, he doesn't do us any good. And so the Holy Spirit takes the perfect work of Christ outside of us, which is the gospel, and then he unites us to Christ and puts all the blessings that Christ is within us. And that's why Paul says that God has done this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Salvation originates with God the Father. It is carried out by God the Son. It is affected by the agent of God the Holy Spirit. Salvation is a Trinitarian work. The pursuit of holiness is because of a Trinitarian work. This is good news. Your Father is for you. Jesus, the Son, is for you. God, the Holy Spirit, Paul says, is for you. He is not against you. The Trinity is all for you to bring about why he has washed, sanctified, and justified you. And so Paul emphasizes this total transformation made possible through the work of Christ for us and effected by the work of the Holy Spirit in us. And there's a lot more we could say, but we'll wrap this up with just a couple application points. As we reflect on Paul's teaching regarding the spiritual transformation of the Corinthians, I want you to remember this this morning. Remember this. Paul's words are filled with hope for sinners. This is a bad bunch of people, and so are you, and so am I. Really bad, unrighteous. But Paul says, in a given moment, God, the Father, through the Son, and by the Holy Spirit, through the announcement of the gospel, cleansed these unrighteous Corinthians from their former defilement. He set them apart for his holy purposes, and he declared them righteous in his sight just like that. This is amazing. This is the gospel of the kingdom. This is the good news of the kingdom. In short, what did God, the Holy Spirit, God the Son, God the Father do? He made them citizens of the kingdom of God when they were once excluded, and he can do the same thing for you today. If you're excluded from the kingdom of God, look to Jesus. Look to him. He'll wash you he will set you apart for himself so that you belong to him, so that you can be set apart for holy purposes and fulfill the reason for why you were created. And he can declare you righteous in his sight forever and ever if you'll just come to Jesus and trust him. 
There's hope for you. You don't have to live in your sin. There is hope for sinners, and God is exceedingly gracious to you. Second, Paul teaches that all who are transformed by the gospel are expected to live out the implications of the gospel. We don't live the gospel. We live out the implications of the gospel. Jesus lived the gospel. The gospel Paul teaches brings about a whole new sexual ethic in God's kingdom. And all three saving actions by God, regeneration, sanctification, justification, all of these demonstrate the purpose for why God has graciously delivered us from our unrighteous, excluded state and brought us into the inheritance of his kingdom, which is this. It is to belong to him. The essence of the covenant, the essence of the new covenant through the gospel is to belong to God, to be his people, to be set apart for holy purposes in his kingdom. And regeneration is the basis for all of this change. Sanctification, definitive sanctification is the purpose for all this change, and justification is the motivation to continually pursue this life change in his kingdom. Paul is reminding the Corinthians, on the basis of the gospel, become what you are. Let me just paraphrase it for you like this. Corinthians, you were once unrighteous, excluded from the kingdom of God, but now by the grace of God, you are citizens of his kingdom because you have been washed, set apart for him, and made righteous, declared righteous in his sight. But your problem is that you don't understand who you are. You don't know that you are an inheritor of the kingdom of God. You don't know that you are a people of the Holy Spirit. You don't know this, but instead you are arrogantly tolerating sexual immorality among you as if you are still excluded from the kingdom of God. But you're not excluded. You are brought in. So therefore, because you are a new creation, a saint, act like it. This is his argument. Third, the gospel is not a license to indulge in the sins of unrighteousness. I think this is just so crystal clear. It doesn't need further comment. The gospel does not lead us to arrogant toleration of sexual immorality in our life. It does not. The gospel, Paul says, brings about, through the Holy Spirit, a powerful transformation of individuals which issues in a new creation and a new sexual ethic by which that new creation desires and wants to live by. Fourth, and finally, the gospel is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The gospel is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Let's not lose sight of Paul's emphasis upon the transforming work of the Holy Spirit in this passage. It is profound and it is clear in this text. The coming of the Holy Spirit into the world signifies the coming of God's kingdom. The presence of the Holy Spirit in the church is evidence of the presence of the future consummation of God's kingdom coming. The Holy Spirit is the presence of the future now. He signifies that all the realities of the consummated kingdom are already now at work in the church, transforming unrighteous people into citizens of the kingdom of God. This is such good news. Paul says that apart from the working of the Holy Spirit, the gospel would fall upon deaf ears. He is the one who affects, listen, spiritual resurrections from the dead, the doctrine of regeneration. He brings the dead to life. 
He does it through the gospel. The Holy Spirit is the agent of regeneration, sanctification, and justification. And how often do we ignore the indispensable work and role of the Holy Spirit all because of overreactions to the excesses of some others in the church? We do it to our own fault. Gordon Fee says that the Holy Spirit belongs to the creed and to our theology, but he is all too often left there. So that his genuinely transforming and empowering work is often left until the second coming of Christ rather than experienced in the present. The Corinthian church experienced the powerful working of the Holy Spirit. Such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified. Let's not forget the ministry of the Holy Spirit in concert with the gospel. He is the one who brings about this powerful good news spiritual transformation of the unrighteous through the announcement of the gospel. He affects it. Jesus secured it, and God the Father planned the whole thing, all for your joy and his glory. Thanks, John. The message you just heard is called Set Apart, Entering the Kingdom of God, Part 2. More from the Do You Not Know series coming up next time. The mission of Him We Proclaim is to bring you the gospel of good news each weekday. And it's our prayer that your heart will be filled with joy and a clear understanding of the gospel and God's word. If you want to hear a past broadcast, check out our podcast in iTunes or download our app. Just search for Dr. John Fonville in iTunes or Google Play. Him We Proclaim is a broadcast of Dr. John Fonville. If you would like to visit Pastor John's church in Jacksonville, Florida, you're always welcome. You can find out more at ParamountChurch.com. I'm Josh Montez. Thanks for listening and join us next time.